sports fans of all ages, faces, and places from every stadium, arena, and auditorium all over the world. May I have your attention, please? Well, time's coming when we're going to have to handy up. Handy up and kick in like men. Like men! It is now time to bring to your listening ears, hearts, and minds a sports podcast named Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Tell him how you feel. A podcast that gives you strong, passionate, unapologetic, uncompromised thoughts and opinions about the everyday happenings in the NFL. Mahomes looking to flip, takes it in for the touchdown. And college football to the NBA in my Georgetown Hoyas. Giannis fires one down and an exclamation point for Milwaukee. To any other sporting news of the day. And now, introducing the man whose love of sports was born and bred on the greatest Muhammad Ali, Lim Bias, Magic Johnson, Bernard King, and Eric Dickerson, Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World of Sports, special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast in this country, special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast in Switzerland, special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast in Canada, special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast in Australia, special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast in Brazil, special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast in France. Thank you so doggone much. Special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast in the Philippines, in New Zealand, anywhere on the globe, special dedication, and thank you so much. Namaste, shalom, wassalamu alaikum, konnichiwa, good morning, good abend, all those salutations. Thank you so much. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of great things to discuss and get down on today in the world of sports. If you could do me a favor, as always, anywhere where you're listening to your favorite podcast, iHeart, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, do me a favor. If you could go ahead, if you could download and subscribe and rate and review, most importantly, enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast, man, I very much would appreciate that. Trey Lance, formerly the quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers, traded to the Dallas Cowboys, fourth-round draft pick. You know, the first thing that I thought about, first, when Trey Lance was demoted, and then when he was traded to the uh, Cowboys, you know the people, you know the athletes that I thought about that first popped in my mind? Dwayne Haskins, James Wiseman, Darko Milicic. Those were the first three names when I heard the news. And the reasons why, with Haskins, it was a situation where it was like, man, when you have a coach who doesn't believe in you, when you have a coach who never wanted you in the first place, when you have an arranged marriage, like the relationship was evidently with uh, Shanahan and Trey Lance, a situation where the coach never wanted you to begin with, or at least everything that they gave up to get him at that spot, that Shanahan never was really on board, man, you don't have a chance. Man, it's hard to win. It's hard to uh, win that spot. Man, it's hard to live up to expectations. And that was the first thing that I thought about with Dwayne Haskins in terms of Trey Lance getting traded. Dwayne Haskins, for those who can um, remember, first of all, rest in peace to uh, Dwayne Haskins, who's no longer with us because he decided to um, go across a freeway drunk and get hit by a truck. But uh, that's another situation for an investigation. But Dwayne Haskins was a guy who had, just like Trey Lance, had one great year in college. Now, his... When you're speaking about um, Haskins was at Ohio State, Lance's was at an F, 
FC uh, a Divisions Two school or a, a, a non-power school, but uh, Dwayne Haskins threw for I guess in his junior year, his first year as a starter, he threw for forty-eight hundred yards. He threw for fifty touchdowns, eight interceptions. He was marvelous. He was unbelievable. He was drafted number fifteen by my then Washington football team. But there was a situation then where Jay Gruden never wanted him. ESPN was reporting up until the time that the uh, Washington football team was going to draft that they were having back and forth discussions trying to convince Daniel Snyder not to draft him. Ah, Daniel Snyder, the owner of the team, he was the guy that wanted to draft Dwayne Haskins. Jay Gruden didn't want to. None of the offensive minds, none of the offensive coaches wanted Dwayne Haskins. They didn't feel that he was ready. They didn't feel that he warranted that type of draft pick, but he, they were overruled by Dan Snyder. So it was a situation where right off the bat that Jay Gruden made it very clear to both everybody who would listen and, and, Dan, and um, uh, Dwayne Haskins that uh, he was not his guy, that he was not the one that, the, that they wanted. And that was evident as the year went along. So this was a situation where really Dwayne Haskins didn't really have a chance to uh, fulfill any of his potential. Now, Dwayne Haskins' immaturity and some of the other things that he did um, put obstacles in front of him that he couldn't overcome into reaching his potential when he was drafted by Washington and the expectations of being a first-round draft pick. And when Jay Gruden was fired and then Ron Rivera came in, there was no real relationship. They weren't invested in Dwayne Haskins because Ron Rivera's and his regime wasn't the one who drafted him. So it was much easier for Rivera, especially after they saw how immature in some of the decisions that Dwayne Haskins made, being a member of the Washington football team, it was much easier for Ron Rivera to say, bye-bye, see you later, get on out of here. I don't know where you're going, but you can't stay here. So it was a situation where with Trey Lance, Kyle Shanahan didn't want him. John Lynch, somebody else wanted to uh, draft Trey Lance number three. Kyle Shanahan wanted Matt Jones, allegedly, reportedly. So it was a situation where Trey Lance already came into the um, situation, came into the organization trying to live up to expectations um, with one strike, two strikes already against him. And then compounding that was how much capital that the 49ers invested or, the, or, or everything that they gave to move up to get Kyle Shanahan, excuse me, to get Trey Lance, it was a situation where it was like, come on, man, you know, it's it was a tough sled. It was tough going. So Dwayne Haskins was the first thing I thought. And when you're speaking about Darko Millicent, James Wiseman, yeah, I know that you're speaking about different sports and everything, but it's a situation where Trey Lance was also put in a bad spot because he was drafted to a team that was expected to compete for championships. This was a situation where he wasn't going to be allowed to grow. He wasn't going to be allowed to rebuild with a team that was rebuilding. This wasn't going to be a guy who was going to be drafted to within a year or two, at the very least two or three years, to be able to be put in place to move the 49ers past the expectations that they had with Jimmy Garoppolo, and he was going to be the guy that was going to lead them to the uh, Super Bowl, despite the fact that Garoppolo was doing a pretty good job with the 49ers in terms of getting them to where they wanted to go. So it was a situation where Trey Lance, a guy who wasn't ready, a guy who was a developmental project, he was going to be thrust into a situation where he wasn't uh, capable that he wasn't ready to be in. 
And it was the same situation, if you remember, with James Wiseman when he was drafted by the Golden State Warriors. Now, when Golden State drafted them, Golden State was coming off a bad season, but still you had the nucleus still in their prime of a team that had won championships, a team that was still a dynasty. When you're speaking about Steph Curry, when you're speaking about Klay Thompson, when you're speaking about uh, Kevin Looney, when you speak Kevon Looney, when you're speaking about Draymond Green, when you're speaking about Steve Kerr at the coach, when you're still speaking about that nucleus, to draft James Wiseman and then quickly try to have them rebuild to be a championship, to win a championship, and, Dwayne, and um, James Wiseman was going to be a part of that, a guy who only played four games at Memphis because of NCAA violations and then to come in and have that type of uh, impact was going to be unrealistic. The same thing with Darko Milicic when he was drafted by the uh, Detroit Pistons. A guy who the only reasons why the Pistons really fell in love with him was due to a pre-game workout or, or, a, um, or uh, just a workout. More than game film, more than anything like that, Milicic won the love and affection of Joe Dumars, the GM of the Pistons at that time, due to a workout that they saw him do in person. So instead of drafting Chris Bosh, instead of drafting Dwayne Wade, instead of drafting Carmelo Anthony, instead of drafting any of these other guys, they went ahead and drafted Darko Milicic, a project over in Europe, and brought him onto a team that had just won an NBA championship. Playing for a coach who didn't like rookies, let alone a rookie who was a developmental guy. So when you had a team like Rasheed Wallace and Ben Wallace and Chauncey Billups and Rip Hamilton and a coach like Larry Brown, man, he doesn't have time to work through the mistakes and work through the immaturity and work through baby and uh, Darko Milicic. Even if the payoff was going to be something to where Milicic was going to be a star. Larry Brown didn't have two or three or four years to wait for that to come to fruition with Darko Milicic. So because of that, Milicic suffered. Milicic never lived up to his potential. Now Milicic is out there back in his uh, European country up there. I think he's a farmer now. He retired, tried doing MMA, came back for a short amount of time. That didn't work out. And now he's back on his farm in, um, I don't know, some European country out there, you know, growing fruits and vegetables. So that's the first thing that I thought about. Those are the guys that I first thought about when you're speaking about Trey Lance and being um, traded to the uh, Dallas Cowboys and, and basically being given up on by the team that drafted him, which was the um, San Francisco 49ers. So it's interesting, you know, the, the, the Trey Lance experiment in San Francisco last week is, was officially over. And according to uh, ESPN's Adam Schefter, the Cowboys acquired him for a fourth round pick. They're going to reportedly Dallas um, cover all of uh, Lance's $940,000 salary for this season. $5.3 million next season while also making the decision on his fifth-year option for 2025. So over the last 12 months, let's just take a look at this. Trey Lance has gone from being the team's quarterback of the future, the near future, a guy who was supposed to be the missing piece or the final piece or the piece that was going to put the 49ers over the top to start winning Super Bowls. Not a Super Bowl, but Super Bowls. He went from having those type of expectations to being demoted to a third stringer and then traded for a fourth round pick. And over that span, to prove himself, to try to prove himself, he played five competitive quarters of NFL football. So there you go. And when you think about the trajectory, we think about the question, can Trey Lance play? Can Trey Lance do this? Can Trey Lance revive his career? What is Trey Lance, this, that, and the other? 
I have no idea. Now, we can go ahead and take a look at Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan took a look and said, nah, we don't think that he can. And Kyle Shanahan knows a lot more about quarterbacks than I do and their potential. So asking me, can Trey Lance's uh, career be saved? I don't know. I'm not a quarterback coach. I'm not an offensive coordinator. I don't know. But um, from the looks of things, Kyle Shanahan said no. Or at least can Trey Lance reach the expectations of, of um, being a franchise quarterback, of being a quarterback that can be the guy, of being an upper-tier quarterback. Kyle Shanahan already answered that question for us, right? The answer was no. Because how in the world do you invest so much? How in the world do you give up so much for a quarterback and then less than three years later, you're trading him for a fourth-round pick, which means get out of our organization. You cannot play for us anymore. You were lapped. You were superseded by a guy named Mr. Irrelevant, whose nickname was Mr. Irrelevant, who was drafted, who was the last pick in the uh, NFL draft. Ain't that something? So obviously, if you're being lapped by Sam Donald, if, if you're more closer to being the fourth string quarterback than you were the second or third string quarterback on the depth chart for a guy in Kyle Shanahan who had made chicken salad out of chicken shit, of a lot of quarterbacks' career, a guy who has been known as a quarterback guru, a guy who has been known as an offensive mastermind, a guy who has been known as one of the top offensive minds in the game today, if he says after three years, less than three years, that Trey Lance can't play or Trey Lance can't live up to the expectations or Trey Lance can't do anything for us to lead us to a Super Bowl, then why are we having this discussion? Why are we having this conversation? Why am I guesstimating and throwing that out there to you who's just as knowledgeable in terms of can can Trey Lance be a franchise quarterback? Can Trey Lance be an MVP quarterback? Can Trey Lance be an upper-tier quarterback? Can Trey Lance be the guy that can lead a team to a Super Bowl? Not be part of a team that wins a Super Bowl, but is the main reason why a team wins a Super Bowl why am I asking you this when I've already had the answer given by one of the greatest offensive minds going on in the NFL today? But then we have to look and just say, man, take a look at that time that he's been when you're speaking about starting in 2019 for Trey Lance. North Dakota State, 19 years old, just like Dwayne Haskins that I mentioned before, having one great year, 4,800 yards, 50 touchdowns, 8 interceptions. Oh my goodness, you will have him be drafted in the first round by the Washington then football team after only one year. Similar to um, Trey Lance at uh, North Dakota State, played that one season in 2019 and ran for 1,100 yards through 28 touchdown passes without one interception. North Dakota State won 16-0, won the FCS National Championship title, put him on the uh, map. Then a global pandemic shut down the world and limited Lance to one game. I think it was some scrimmage where he went 14 for 28 against some non-distinct school. He declared for the NFL draft, was selected by the 49ers at the number three, at the number three pick overall. The 49ers, if you remember, as I was mentioning before, sent three first-round picks a third rounder to the Miami Dolphins, moved up nine spots to uh, get Lance. And by the way, the Dolphins, oh yeah, just kind of like when Mike Lynn and the Minnesota Vikings sent the whole boatload to the Dallas Cowboys to get Herschel Walker, and then Jimmy Johnson used those draft picks to uh, basically build a dynasty, a mini dynasty for the uh, Cowboys. Well, 
I'm not going to label it that type of impact because Herschel Walker never did anything after a first game with the Green Bay Packers. So I'm not going to try to um, make any more comparisons in terms of the impact of that trade. But, you know, three or four years down the line, it might get close because the Dolphins use those draft picks that they got from the 49ers to acquire Jalen Waddell. They used those draft picks to trade for Tyreek Hill and also got themselves Bradley Chubb. And now Miami is one of those teams in the AFC East that's considered one of the up-and-coming teams uh, to start having the potential to win championships. So, again, when you take a look at everything that transpired, when you take a look at everything, when you take a look at the impact that could happen with the trade, it's, it's not just, oh my goodness, there's 49ers. We've, we've seen first-round quarterbacks go bust very quickly, right? We, we've seen... Quarterbacks who have been drafted number one, number two, number three, number four, number five. We've seen quarterbacks who were supposed to shake up the world. We've seen quarterbacks who were supposed to be franchise quarterbacks fizzle and fizzle very quickly. And right, that's that for the most part, that's kind of like the norm more than the exception, right? So when you take a look at Trey Lance and the fact that after two years or three years, he gets jettisoned to the um, Dallas Cowboys, what makes it even more puzzling, what makes it even more dynamic, what makes it even more um, talked about, what makes it even more discussed is the fact that everything that the 49ers did to give to up to get into the position to draft Trey Lance and then the person who we thought was the person behind those moved to get Trey Lance. We, we thought, or at least I thought, that Kyle Shanahan was on board with this. I thought that he was like, yeah, you get me Trey Lance. Let's go. Let's do this. Despite the fact when you see the quarterbacks that have, th- that have thrived under Shanahan for a particular period of time, and you look at the Kirk Cousins, and you look at the, the more pocket-present type of quarterbacks, and you take a look at, the, uh, at, at those type of uh, players, you might say that, well, you know, maybe Shanahan, it was a situation where he does like quarterbacks who will just run his system. Stay in the pocket, do your thing, run the place that I want you to run. Don't improvise, don't do any of that stuff. And when you take a look at Matt Ryan, he turned into an MVP. Kurt Cousins, he turned into a guy who's making $30 million a year uh, playing for the uh, Minnesota Vikings. When you, when you take a look at those type of players... I mean, maybe it was a situation where we, we weren't really paying that much attention because we had focused so much on Shanahan's work with Robert Griffin III. And the fact that the only thing that stopped Robert Griffin III from becoming one of those quarterbacks who was going to turn into a franchise-type quarterback was his mentals and the fact that he got injured or his immaturity and the fact that he got injured or RG3's hubris and, his, um, and, and the fact that he got uh, injured. But when we take a look at the landscape, when we take a look at the resume, when we take a look at the quarterbacks that have had great success under Kyle Shanahan, we've seen that they have been more Brock Purdy, Mac Jones, than Trey Lance or Robert Griffin III. So, so maybe that was a situation. But, but everything that we that, that everything that transpired. In terms of Lance getting that, um, you know, moving up to get him and everything. And the fact that they gave up on him so quickly was food for thoughter to be speaking about. And why I think that this is, and why I think that the chatter speaking about what happened to Trey Lance is, is, is more, is more passionate, is more thought about, is more talked about than any other of these first, first round quarterbacks 
who have busted. And again, we, we still don't know the unknown. What exactly can Trey Lance do? Because based upon his experience and based upon his lack of experience, we don't know. The man has thrown, what, 600 passes since his senior year in high school or since his high school days? So, so how do we know? Kyle Shanahan says he can't do things then they're probably going to go with Kyle Shanahan. And, and here's the worst part, because we spoke about experience. I speak about experience. Um, what are the Cowboys going to do with uh, Trey Lance? Because everybody now is speaking about, oh, my goodness, the um, the Cowboys did um, Dwayne, uh, they did um, Dak Prescott dirty. How could they do this, this, that, and the other? Look, if I was Dak Prescott, I would be more concerned about Cooper Rush. I would be concerned about two things. Um, the fact that I'm scheduled to make $59 million for the 2024 NFL season and the fact that Cooper Rush just signed a contract extension. I'm not worried about Trey Lance. Trey Lance is not going to be seeing the field for the Dallas Cowboys in any way, shape, or form this season. Jerry Jones basically said that at a press conference when they when they acquired Trey Lance. I mean, this is a long-term situation. It was a situation where from the experts, Schefter, Schefter and those guys are talking about, hey, this was a situation where this is just a, a talent acquisition. This is not something that's going to uh, have an immediate impact in any way, shape, or form in the near future. So if you're taking a look at Trey Lance in the best-case scenario, the glass half full for him to make some type of impact for the Dallas Cowboys, you got to be thinking basically about the 2025 season at the very least because he's not going to do anything this year. Dak Prescott is not going to be looking at over his shoulder. If Dak Prescott comes out and, and, and has a bad start to the season and the chatter starts clamoring and starts growing about him being benched or what's going on, is he the franchise quarterback? Is he the quarterback that can get us to where we need to go? That, that clamor, that chatter, those discussions aren't going to then be focused around, well, can Trey Lance be that guy? Trey Lance is not going to be in the conversation at all. If there's going to be a discussion about benching Dak Prescott, we've already seen from Cooper Rush, a guy who went 4-1 when Prescott was injured last season, that uh, there's some evidence that, yeah, the Cowboys ship can remain afloat and even keep assailing for more than a three-hour tour with Cooper Rush at the quarterback for that team. So Dak Prescott, oh my goodness, this, this move to acquire Trey Lance was such a uh, disrespect that I can't believe that Jerry Jones didn't consult uh, Mike McCarthy and um, Dak Prescott about it. Why? It's so insignificant for what Dak Prescott has looking at, that Dak Prescott has in front of him. Let me tell you, if Dak Prescott has a poor year, he's going to be more concerned about Cooper Rush. Cooper Rush is going to be the guy that's going to take his spot. It ain't going to be Dak Prescott if they don't think that Dak Prescott can be the guy moving forward if he has a subpar below average season this year they're not going to replace Trey Lance is not going to be the starting quarterback for the Cowboys starting the 2024 season it's going to be Cooper Rush or somebody else so I don't understand the chatter I don't understand the uh, discussion or I don't understand why we needed to go into that like somehow some way this was such a disrespect if I'm Dak Prescott, I'm like, big flipping deal. They can go out and get Trey Lance. He definitely ain't taking my job. Man doesn't even know the playbook yet. And according to Kyle Shanahan, this was a guy in practice was showing that he was not capable. He was not ready to be a quarterback in the NFL. So why am I concerned about that? With me making $59 million or me scheduled 
to make $59 million next year, I better be concerned about what I can do to make sure that I pick up that paycheck next year. Because if I go out and have the same type of performance this season as I did last season, then uh, maybe my agent needs to start calling the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers or maybe start calling somebody else to see what we can do to uh, have it be a starting quarterback for them next year. Because it definitely won't be in Dallas and I definitely won't be making that $59 million. So this has nothing to do with Trey Lance. But Trey Lance, the, what he needs the most, Trey Lance, I mean, too, too bad if Trey Lance was in the NBA. If this was a scenario concerning an NBA player, like, like, like Weissman's and others, he would be sent down to the G League. This would be a guy, I mean, too bad there's not an NFL Europe. Because what Trey Lance needs more than anything else, he needs reps. He needs experience. He needs game action on a consistent basis. Now, he started um, last season, only played, what, a game and a little more than a quarter or less than a quarter. The first game that he played in Chicago, the, that field and those, those elements weren't, uh, weren't, um, weren't great for anybody to determine any type of uh, improvement from Lance. And then he went out and broke his ankle or broke his leg. And the second game was essentially ended his uh, career with the 49ers because Jimmy Garoppolo came in, he got injured, and Brock Purdy came in for the last eight games and um, did what he did to solidify him as the starting quarterback or the quarterback of the future for the 49ers moving forward, which made Trey Lance expendable. But we don't know. We don't know. He got injured his rookie year in preseason. He only played a couple of games uh, substituting for an injured Garoppolo his first season. So we, we don't know. We have no idea. So again, what Trey Lance needs more than anything is repetition, is, is repetition, repetition, game time, repetition, and experience. I don't know what the Cowboys game plan. I don't know what the Cowboys end game is. I don't know if they're going to try to make... I don't know if eventually they're going to try to turn Trey Lance into like Taysom Hill of the of the New Orleans Saints, uh, a guy who is an athletic marvel, a guy who can play a little bit of quarterback, but not but is not good enough to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. But you can put him in some exotic packages, you can put him in some creative packages, and let him take advantage of his physical skills, like Sean Payton did when he was coaching uh, Hill with the um, New Orleans Saints when Drew Brees was the quarterback and a little time when Jameis Winston was the quarterback of that team. Maybe that's the ultimate goal for the Dallas Cowboys and why they're going to be picking up um, Trey Lance because if, um, if that Prescott comes out and has a great season and he continues to be your franchise quarterback, then I don't know exactly what you do with a project so raw uh, like like Trey Lance. Here, here, here's my deal, though. Here's what I would say to uh, Trey Lance. Here's what I would suggest to Trey Lance in terms of the best op- the best opportunity that he can in terms of being an NFL quarterback. Not being not not living up to expectation. Again, we don't even know how much time we even need to give Trey Lance before we call him a bust. We don't even know how much time we need to give Trey Lance before we put him on the football field. We don't know how much time we need to give Trey Lance even before we garner him the opportunity to be competing for a starting position in the NFL, let alone or NFL quarterback, let alone leading his team to the uh, to an NFL championship. Here, here's what I would do. 
here's what Trey Lance needs to do, right? Because we spoke about what? What does Trey Lance need most? He needs opportunity. He needs experience. He needs game time experience and repetition, right? The best thing for Lance to do to get a real opportunity to become a starting quarterback in the NFL, go to Canada, man, and play three or four years in the CFL. No, seriously. Go to Canada and go out there. Look, quarterbacks who played in the CFL and then have come back and played in the NFL as quarterbacks. Of course, we all know Warren Moon, right? The greatest quarterback in CFL history. Him and Doug Flutie played all six of his years for the Edmonton Eskimos, led the team to a five straight the Grey Cup victories from 1978 and 1982. Had to go to the CFL and be a quarterback because despite leading Washington to a Rose Bowl victory over uh, Michigan as a quarterback for Washington, the NFL was not ready. The NFL was too racist. The NFL was too ignorant. The re- NFL was too stuck in their stereotypes to allow Warren Moon to try out when he was drafted as a quarterback. They wanted him to play safety. They wanted him to play receiver. They wanted him to do other things. So instead, he went to Canada because Edmonton was offering him the opportunity to play quarterback, and he lit it up. Played 16 seasons in the NFL after he came back to the States and played in the league, made nine Pro Bowls, was named the League Offensive Player of the Year in 1990 when he led the league with 33 touchdowns first quarterback to be inducted into the both football the nfl and cfl hall of fame so you take a look at doug flutie a guy who for five years was meandering was mingling was me uh, was was hanging out with uh five uh, new england and a couple of other teams his first five years in the nfl after he was drafted by boston after he was drafted coming out of boston college Doug Flutie's first five years, he played, he started 14 games. Went to the CFL, he still holds the record for most outstanding player awards, winning it six times in eight years in the league. Won three great cups, one with Calgary, two with Toronto, three great cup MVPs. Then returned to the NFL in his early 30s, played uh, 57 more games for Buffalo, San Diego, New England, including 42 more career starts, made the 1998 Pro Bowl as well as winning the Comeback Player of the Year award in his first year back in the league and finished his NFL career with 86 career passing touchdowns. You see other quarterbacks like Joe Thiesman, Jeff Garcia, Joe Cap. they all went ahead and did that. So I think the route for it, I think the route for um, Trey Lance is to go up to Canada. There was an offer for Doug, uh, for Tim Tebow. After he flamed out with, I believe, the New England Patriots to go up to uh, Canada and uh, play up there and try to get some experience being a uh, improving his passing skills. I mean, hell, there's a lot of uh, Trey Lance in T- Tim Tebow, right? A great athlete who needs to uh, polish up his passing skills to become more of a pocket passer or more of an NFL prototype quarterback in terms of being able to read defense, in terms of being able to uh, manipulate uh, the uh, ball but in the pocket, look, my man Lance is only 23 years old. He just turned 23 in May. He's already a year younger than Will Levis, who was drafted in the third round by the Tennessee Titans. He's younger than Joe Burrow when Burrow made his NFL debut. He's a half a year younger than Bay- Baker Mayfield when Mayfield debuted. And he's nearly two years younger than Kenny Pickett. So, I, I, again, for me, it would be a situation where, look, in Dallas – you ain't going to do anything. In Dallas, you're not going to learn anything. In Dallas, you're not going to get any closer. The opportunities for you to become a starting quarterback in the NFL are very slim. 
I think the only way, as of right now, for Trey Lance to have an opportunity to go ahead and uh, see what he can do to resurrect his career in terms of becoming a starting quarterback in the NFL is, oh, Canada, my home in something, something. I better learn that anthem because in a situation where depending upon the 2024 election, uh, Vancouver, uh, Calgary, uh, Toronto, uh, here I come. And believe me, man. Hey, let me tell you something. As far as underrated is concerned, the women of Toronto, especially the black women in Toronto, them women are gorgeous. And I'm still single. And in terms of... And in terms of me finding someone beautiful, gorgeous, and all that good stuff who's going to pull up with my goofy ass, uh, we're late in the fourth quarter. <laughs> it's like when it, like finding my, uh, finding, finding my female, my relationship, my soulmate, and all them good things. Right now, we're late in the fourth quarter, uh, and we're down by uh, uh, 10 points. I've got the ball first 10, and I'm on the 15-yard line. <laughs> so I need something. There's about eight minutes left to go in the game. So not only do I need, I need two scores. I need two scores just to uh, tie the game. So yeah, you know, it's, it's about, for me, it's about forget the run game, forget about ball control, forget about playing the long game. For me, it's like shotgun, uh, hurry up formation, that, that and the other. So yeah, Toronto, uh, yeah, Melissa Ford and all that. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Don't sleep on the females, especially the black females. Of uh of uh Canada of Toronto Canada so yeah depending upon how stupid this country is and if they select some dumbass that's uh, that's running now even though he might be um, presiding over the uh, presidency from a jail cell which we can all hope which we can all hope for uh you know hey Canada might be my place and I can go watch the Toronto Argonauts and Trey Lance do their thing in uh, 2026 so. Yeah, there we go. Trey Lance, go to Canada and see what you can do about resurrecting the opportunity for you to um, be a starter in the NFL. I got to talk about some college football, right? Isn't there a situation where I'm going to be talking about some college football? There are some things about week zero. Week one is coming up. Week zero, there's some things I want to get into. And I will give you my play-by-play. I will give you my itinerary for watching college football and the games that I'll be watching as week one in college football starts. Wendell Wallace, grooving, getting on down here in Wendell's, on Wendell's World in Sports. Well, I'm the jibber, jabber, mature like shabber. Ranks making bank, operating like trapper. John and me, yeah, that's what folks tell me. I plan on going far and be a star like Marcus Welby. So there, there, uh-huh. You suit, though, yes, I mix the buckets, scores and buckets like Menudo or Judo. I gets it, I kills them when I gamble. And when I swings my thing, I takes a swing like Mickey Mantle. But um, I got more flavors in a pack an hour later. Beg your pardon, Mr. Cuba, but I love vanilla wafers. See, I got it going on because of the songs that I write. I got it going on because my crew is not hype, but I sit them, I stand them, I brand them like Zorro. I shop at Dagostino for a bag of Stella Doro. Breadsticks, oh yes, it's the books for three of my cousin's crazy, lazy, a blitz and D. Because we're just coming, that's on the mic. Because we're just coming, that's on the mic. Because we're just coming, that's on the mic. Just coming, that's on the mic. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. 
Thank you so much, diggity diggity das effects. Just a man. I'm just a man that's on the mic. Yeah, man. Like I said, I'm um, <clears throat> I'm like uh, when it comes to the female relationships, man. Trying to get me my uh, trying to get trying to get me my soulmate, right? Trying to get me my Halle Berry. Trying to get me my Layla Roshan. Trying to get me my Monica Bellucci. Trying to get me my Selma Hayek. Trying to get me the one that I'm going to be spending eternity with, or all that kind of good stuff. Yeah, man. You know what, my age right now, what I want to do, it's the fourth quarter. There's about eight minutes left to go in the ball game. I need two scores to win. But ladies, ladies, I want you to know right now, uh, I'm Tom Brady in those situations. I'm uh, Patrick Mahomes in those situations, all right? I'm Joe Montana in those situations. I'm Warren Moon in those situations. Baby, baby, just joking. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad. Ah, uh, that you could be with us. Before I go on, I just wanted, because, like I said, my man uh, Dot Effects, or my man Dot Effects, were on the mic with the uh, music break, with the boogie break. Man, can I just do a get off my lawn real quick? I'm old, real quick. Um, because I listen to uh, my music, I listen to Dot Effects, I listen to Big Daddy, I listen to Eric B. and Rakim, I listen to Heavy D, I listen to MC Light, I listen to Queen Latifah, I listen to Most Def, I listen to Nas, I listen to... Uh, uh, all those guys, I mean, hell, I'll even listen to Chub Rock. I listen to all them folks, and then I listen to m- the music or uh, Public Enemy, you know, the folks that I grew up with, you know, the reason why I became such a big fan of music along with others. But I'm listening to the um, the rap that is today, and I'm like, come on, y'all. Y'all have got to be fucking kidding me. I remember Russell Simmons a little while ago, but he wasn't uh, in between raping women. Yeah, check that out on the on YouTube. Check out the uh, documentary about that. In between raping women, sexually assaulting women, Russell Simmons was speaking about, you know, the rap music today or hip-hop today is, is the best that has ever been. And I'm like, man, you've got to be fucking kidding me. Now, I don't, I don't know any of that stuff. But, you know, I have been in the situations, been in the Clark County School District. I was in the Clark County School District for 17 years. So, yeah, I listened to a lot of rap, talked to a lot of kids in terms of what they were listening to, what's hot, what's going on. Let me go ahead and take a listen to what's some of the stuff that's going down, who's popular, who's this and who's that. And all that shit sounds the fucking same, man. The shit sound nigga motherfucker shit nigga fuck nigga motherfucker shit nigga shit. Bitch motherfucker the hood nigga shit. Gun shit fuck nigga. Shoot somebody me. It's the, it's the same damn thing. Everything. First of all, I don't know what the hell they're talking about. I can't understand what they're saying. Shit, nigga, motherfucker, nigga, shit, motherfucker, shit, nigga, bitch, motherfucker, with a nigga, nigga, with a bitch. It's like, what, what, how many times do we have to say nigga in one sentence? Now, look, it, that 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 word does not offend me. I don't say that word. I don't use that word. Just my pref, just my preference. But it's like, so it doesn't offend me. But you can say the word nigga all you want to, but just put it in sentences, just put it in rhyme, just put it in poetry that I can understand and it makes sense and it flows with some music where the music today sucks in terms of rap music, in terms of the beats. These kids today, they don't know anything about two turntables and the microphone. All they know is some motherfucker getting on the uh, microphone, slurring and stumbling and fumbling and bumbling and rambling and... And gargling and drooling his words out. Motherfucking shit, nigga, motherfucking shit. Nigga, mother, motherfucker, nigga. Especially these, these southern boys, man. These man, down south. Man, none of you guys none of you guys can rap. You know, the two live crew and all these other guys back when I was growing up, none of you guys can rap. 
Oh, me so horny, me so horny. Get the fuck out of here. What bullshit. I was up there listening to Rock Kim. I was up there listening to Heavy D. I was up there listening to Public Enemy. I was up there listening to Big L. I was listening to that stuff. And you want me to be turned on to, oh, me so horny, me so horny, me love me long time. Or Sir mix a lot. I got big butts, but I cannot lie. So really, you, so you want me to go from true poetry, like Cool Mo D, like, like Rakim, to that bullshit, huh? Really? You really want me to go from that bullshit to Too Short? Really? You want me to go from the East Coast and what they were putting out to that bullshit on the West Coast? Really? But man, the South was the absolute worst. And today, it just seems like just seems like all of that shit is just this motherfucking shit, nigga, motherfucker. It's just like, damn, it's just, just terrible. And I, I, I'm telling you, you know, I, I, for the Hispanics, could y'all do me a favor, please? I mean, because y'all say niggas more than niggas say niggas. So if y'all could do me this favor, if y'all could learn to say the word nigga correctly, it would be much appreciated. Because I'm not talking about nigger, but in terms of how you guys implement that word in your everyday speaking to each other. It's like, how many times can we say the word nigga in one sentence? The more you say nigga, doesn't make you more of a nigga. So that doesn't really, that doesn't add up your niggerism. You know what I'm saying? So the fact that you can still be a nigga without saying nigga, it doesn't like prove you're getting it, keeping it real or anything like that. Because I would be in the classroom and I'd be hearing these folks, or I'd be in the hallways and I'd be hearing these folks and for the Clark County School District, and they weren't loud. They weren't shouting it out. So I never had to say fellas language. Eh. But, uh, you know, and just the everyday conversation that they were having as such, it would be like, yeah, so, you know, I was talking to this nigga. And nigga, let me tell you, this nigga went down to the street, right? The nigga bought himself two nigga tacos. This nigga with two tacos. I said, yo, nigga, what's happening? I'm sitting there going, guys, you don't have to say nigga every other word. You don't have to. I understand, my nigga. I was saying the same thing. This nigga right here was thinking about... This nigga right here was speaking about some nigga shit that he was speaking about. And I was like, yo, nigga, what's up with that? It's like, Jesus, man. I mean, I mean Mexicans, y'all got to turn, y'all got to, y'all got to calm that shit down. Like I said, I don't, I don't care if y'all say the word, especially if y'all talking to each other or another nigga, but it's like, y'all got to stop with that nonsense. I mean, you know, ch- change up, change up the, uh, change up the pronoun. You know, instead of saying nigga, you could say he or just say the name. You don't have to say nigga. You don't have to use the word nigga as a noun, an adverb, and a pronoun. You don't have to say it all. You you can can mix it up a little bit, you know? You you can uh, diversify. Wendell's World in Sports. Okay, enough about that. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Hey, not too much to say about um, week zero of college football. Really, the takeaways... Um, I'm still concerned. I watched some of the uh, USC San Jose State game. I'm still concerned about USC's defense that they have enough for them to win a national championship. They struggled on both sides of the ball early, used an explosive second half to pull away from San Jose State, 56 to uh, 28. They scored 35 points in the final 30 minutes. Um, Caleb Williams, solid. Zachariah Branch, freshman over here, he uh, played football for Bishop Gorman. Over here in um, and where where is Bishop Gorman now? I think they were uh, they moved from Summerlin. I don't think they were Summerlin. I knew they were kind of like near downtown, but now they moved up to the uh, southwest uh, side of town. Awesome school, fabulous stadium uh, where that where those uh, where the high school football team plays. But um, he had a really good game. Williams went eighteen of twenty five passing, two hundred seventy eight yards, 
Forced touchdowns, completed eight of his last 10 passes. Branch, four catches for 58 yards. Uh, 96-yard kickoff return for a touchdown. So I think offensively, running back Austin Jones scored a pair of touchdowns. Um, Marshawn Lloyd finished with 42 yards rushing. But, you know, with Caleb Williams in the, in the magistrate that he had at the collegiate level, I think on offense, they're going to be fine. Offensive line was a little bit shaky. But I, I think the offense, the offense under Lincoln Riley is always good enough to uh, have them compete for a championship. My thing, if you're a USC fan, is what about that defense? Again, it was a mixed bag. They struggled to get off the field. Um, in the first half, they allowed a late second quarter touchdown to make it 21-14. I mean, when you're playing a team like San Jose State, who is going to be a team to be reckoned with within a smaller size expectations? You know, they're, they're, they're not one of the worst teams in college football. This was a little bit more for USC than to let's uh, pay them a check for us to uh, beat up on. They were a better team than that, of course. But, you know, if they're going to be playing or if their expectations are to win a national championship and you're going to be going up against Georgia, a team that's looking to three-peat, I think the defense is going to have to be better. Unless you're going to have a Vince Young type of performance by Caleb Williams on a consistent basis, basis, or shall I say a Vince Young type of performance that he gave in the Rose Bowl the year that Texas won the championship over USC. It's going to take that type of... uh, of effort from Williams and the offense in general to be explosive plus if they're going to be going up against a team like Georgia or going up against one of the elite teams at the end of the season to win themselves a championship if the defense does not improve anymore. When you have San Jose State going for almost 400 yards of total offense, 24 first downs, going 5 for 13 on third down conversions and rushing for almost 200 yards at 198. If you're a USC Trojan fan, man, you got to get better than that on defense. Because, yeah, you take a look at the first games of the season. Yeah, San Jose State is done. Nevada, they should have no problem with, along with Stanford, Arizona State, Colorado, and then Arizona. But then... The next two games after that, they're going to be playing Notre Dame and they're going to be playing Utah. So I want to be interested to see what defensive improvements can be made between now and that game at Notre Dame for them to be real contenders, for them to give us a real um, or, or what analysis or indication of where they're going in terms of what... Um, what type of threat they can be to to win a national championship. Notre Dame looks like they have an above-average college quarterback. Sam Hartman threw for four touchdown passes, completed 19-23 passes for 251 yards. I thought the offensive line for Notre Dame played very well. The running game was solid. I mean, how much can we take away from the, uh, from the overall uh, game when you take a look at Notre Dame's schedule and where they list or where they ranked or what their expectations should be in the second year of Marcus Freeman, they need to be better in terms of what they were the first season. Now, one of the things that I thought really hampered them or really handcuffed them, uh, especially in the early part of the season when they were losing to Stanford and when they were losing to Marshall and such, where they uh, started off, I think, 1-3 in three last season under Marcus Freeman, whatever. I thought uh, it was a situation where their quarterback play was uh, very substandard. With Drew Pine in there, I thought they were very substandard. Now they have themselves a quarterback who can move the ball down the field. Now they have an experienced quarterback with Hartman playing, what, four or five years or four years? 
at Wake Forest and being in that program. So you're speaking about a mature quarterback. You're speaking about a leader. And you're speaking about a guy who can make the throws, at least at the college level, at a very efficient level. This is all based on one game. This is all based uh, against Navy when you're speaking about what type of impact Hartman can have as the starting quarterback for Notre Dame. But based on what we saw in this year's of playing quarterback at Wake Forest, this is not an anomaly. This is not something where it's kind of like, oh, yeah, well, they're playing, they're playing Navy. Hello. Now 19 for 23, 251 yards when they start upping the competition and start playing better competition. Yet that's going to slide back just a bit. But when you're speaking of now about a team in Notre Dame, which needs to improve on what they did last season and really see what they can do. They have the schedule where they can survive a loss and still be in a position to be in the national championship based on their schedule, based on their name recognition. So I think that in a situation where college football, I feel, is down because of so many questions at the quarterback when you're taking a look at those questions at quarterback at Georgia and Ohio State. Vic Saban still hasn't announced Uh, his starting quarterback for this upcoming Saturday game. So, I mean, there's a whole lot of teams who might be in transition from the quarterback position where if you do not have that stout quarterback, if you do not have that experienced quarterback, if you do not have a quarterback the caliber of Sam Hartman, who might not be a uh, Caleb Williams or the quarterback from uh, North Carolina, he might not be at that level, but hell, he doesn't have to be for this team to be able to compete. So we will see moving forward a very good... uh, Performance over in Ireland by Notre Dame and to um, hold Navy the three points with that triple option when um, Navy had the whole offseason to get ready for Notre Dame. I thought that was a kudos to the defense, Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So let me go ahead and give you my television viewing for this weekend in college football because this and we I know... Week zero was week zero, but college football in earnest starts really Thursday and accumulates to Sunday uh, uh, or Saturday, excuse me, and and then climaxes on uh, Sunday, just like a lot of Cherokee DS's videos, right? They start one time, they climax. Okay, um, so when you're speaking about the television viewing this weekend for college football, here's going to be my game plan. This is what I'm going to be talking about. These are the things that I'm going to be doing. I've already cut up my watermelon. I already got my uh, almonds. I already got my walnuts. I already got my pumpkin seeds. I already got my um, baby carrots and my um, and my um, apples with my honey peanut butter. I already have my soda. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I'm rip roaring, ready to go. In the evening, I'm going to go get my pizza. So I, I, I am, I am ready to go. I'm going to have my omelet in the morning with my hash browns, and then after that, sit back, relax, and eat my watermelon, eat my walnuts, eat my pumpkin seeds, eat my blue eye almond almonds, drink my soda, do all that good stuff. So here's what I'm talking about. Thursday, of course, I'm going to be watching Florida at Utah. Friday, I'm going to be watching Central Michigan at Michigan State. I'm interested to see Mel Tucker. This is an important year for Mel Tucker. I'm not saying that he's going to be fired because he signed that seven-year, $93 million contract a couple of the years ago. But the first year, he brought in all of those transfers and Ken Walker the third, uh, you know, catapulted him 
to uh, being in a position where he could be offered that type of money, offered that type of contract. Last season was a um, was a downgrade. Last season was a disappointment. I want to see year three, the start of year three for Mel Tucker in Michigan State, what they look like. I also am going to be watching Howard at Eastern Michigan. The only reason why, I'm going to be watching a little bit of that game because Howard University right there off of uh, Georgia Avenue, right there in Northwest D.C., are they Georgia Avenue? I don't know, but Howard University, the, my HBCU school, Mikel Davis, my closer than brother, went there. And uh, yeah, Howard University, who I still contend to this day, even though I have not been on that campus in over, in over, whoo, in over 30 years. Wow. I still remember walking on that campus as a 19, 20 year old. I've never seen so many more. I've never seen so many beautiful females in my life. I have never seen so many beautiful females in one place in my life than when I one day was just strolling around uh, Howard University, snuck into a couple of classes and checked it out. I was in awe. I was in absolute awe of how absolutely gorgeous, how absolutely beautiful, how absolutely stunning, how absolutely marvelous those females were. Way out of my league. Way out of my league in every shape, form. Physically, mentally, intelligent-wise, no chance. No chance. So for me, Howard University, I just want to check them out to see how they're doing. So that's Friday. And, of course, Thursday, as I mentioned before, uh, Florida, Utah. I want to see how good Utah is because Utah could throw that wrench in terms of the plan for USC to try to compete for that national championship. Utah had a, it's always now a perennial team in terms of being top 10, top 15. Florida, I want to see who's going to be replacing Anthony Richardson at the quarterback and see if Florida can continue to make strides in their Billy Napier to uh, get better. So Thursday, I'm going to be watching Florida at Utah, Friday, Central Michigan at, Central, at uh, Michigan State, along with Howard at Eastern Michigan. Saturday, that's where we started pumping. Saturday, this is where we started going. Saturday, this is where we start celebrating good times. Come on, when you're speaking about the early games. Of course, my early, my, my early games that I'll be watching, interested, of course, in Colorado TCU. Not only do I want to see... Um, you know, Colorado for the obvious. I want to see um, Coach Sanders, Coach Prime. Interested also to see how well his son does at quarterback now, making that move from Jackson State up to the next level of college football. Had a great, great season at Jackson State, playing mostly HBCU schools, but the uh, uh, but the improvement in competition that he's going to be playing against, I'm going to see if Shakur could continue to be a uh, quarterback who puts up big numbers. Travis Hunter, I want to see how well that he plays. And just overall, I want to see um, TCU, a team that uh, lost Mac Dugan but uh, made it to the national championship last season. I want to see if Sonny Dykes has put a program that uh, can compete for you know top 15, top 20 status. Don't think that he's ever going to get the opportunity to uh, be in the position that he was last season when he was playing for a national championship. But I want to see now if TCU is going to be that program that is cons- that consistently is going to be a top 20, 25 team. So I'm interested to see that. I'm also going to be watching Virginia at Tennessee. The next group, group of games that I'm going to be watching after that on Saturday, Ohio State and Indiana. I'm interested in seeing Kyle McCord, and I'm interested in seeing the Ohio State Buckeyes, seeing how they look. I want to see Marvin Harrison Jr., who might be the best player in college football, not named 
um, not named Caleb Williams at, at the team. Um, I want to see. I want to see them play. I want to see Rice at Texas. I still have my reservations about Texas. I still have my reservations about Quinn Ewers, who's supposed to be making this leap. Steve Sarkeesian, this is an important year for him. There's many people. I was listening to uh, the uh, Pat Jones show with uh, Eric G and um, Coach Joe. Uh, Coach Joe. Coach Jones. They were speaking about, uh, you know, they heard sources that uh, Arch Manning with a guy that ultimately this season could replace Quinn Hewers as a quarterback. And Quinn Hewers is supposed to be the guy on a lot of these uh, mock draft uh, picks or mock drafts for 2024 that's going to be a first-round draft pick. So I'm interested to see Quinn Hewers. I'm interested to see Texas after losing B. John Robinson. They have a wide range of uh, highly touted and highly um, uh, talented wide receivers, so I want to see how well they do. And Tennessee State at Notre Dame, I want to see again... Um, Notre Dame continue to get better, continue to play after Navy. So those are the games that I'm going to be watching on Saturday. Also watching Nevada at USC. I want to see if USC defense is going to get any better. I want to see New Mexico at Texas A&M. All that talent that Jimbo Fisher brought in. I want to see who the quarterback is going to be. Jimbo Fisher, who might be sitting on the hottest seat or one of the hottest seats in college football. I want to see that. I want to also watch a little bit of Middle Tennessee State at Alabama just to uh, see who's going to be the starting quarterback for uh, Alabama. Is it going to be Jalen Milrow? Is it going to be Ty Simpson? Is it going to be Tyler Buckner? Which one of these guys is going to be the starting quarterback? West Virginia at Penn State. Want to see who's going to be the new starting quarterback for Penn State. And if they're for real, going to be watching UNC and North Car- and, um, and uh, South Carolina. The only reason for that is, A, I want to see uh, this quarterback for UNC, who's supposed to be the number two pick in the NFL draft behind Caleb Williams, if everything goes kosher. And also South Carolina under Shane Beamer made some steps, made some strides uh, last season, the blowout victory over Tennessee. I want to see uh, the progression, see what progression improvements that South Carolina has made um, with Beamer at the helm. Late game watching, basically I'm going to be watching Coastal Carolina at UCLA. Basically, for that, I'm just interested to in seeing Dante Moore. If he's going to be the starting quarterback for UCLA, one of the highly recruited uh, freshmen, especially at the quarterback position, if he's going to be playing for UCLA. And if he is that freshman out of Detroit, how well or how um, how well is he, or in terms of how good he is as a football player? Sunday television viewing, of course, I'm going to be watching LSU Florida State, which basically is going to be the game of the weekend, and then Monday, I'm going to be watching Clemson at Duke. So my television viewing for college football is set and ready to go, man. So I can't wait, can't wait for any of those things. When I come back, I am going to be speaking about my favorite, my love, my Halle Berry, my Layla Roshan, my Monica Bellucci, the love of my life in terms of sports is concerned, in terms of uh, that basketball, FIBA, World Cup, going to be speaking a little bit about France, going to be speaking about the uh, United States or the racist, ignorant, divided states doing their thing, beating up, beating up on Jordan, going into the second round, 3-0. and Also, there's an interesting, there's something interesting that the coach for Angola brought up about naturalization and some of these players who are playing for these other teams when Lord knows they shouldn't be doing so. I'll speak about that also. Wendell Wallace... Wendell's World in Sports.
last segment of the podcast, last segment of the program, Wendell's World of Sports. So doggone glad that you could be with us, recording this on a Wednesday, now mid-afternoon, after watching Chris Eubanks lose in the uh, U.S. Open. Some good stuff, some good tennis, the U.S. Open, so interested in watching that. But let me get to some FIBA basketball. The United States, or should I say the racist, ignorant, divided states of America, easily beating up on Jordan. I actually watched that game. came on at 140 out here in the uh, on the Pacific Coast here in this country. So I uh, stayed up and watched about a little bit over a half of that game. That it was a situation where it's like, eh, I'm not going to learn anything from this. But uh, so far, good uh, start to the tournament by the Americans. Been very impressed. I, I spoke about it before in terms of which one of these guys, A, is going to be making a name for himself in terms moving forward just as a basketball player, just playing in the NBA. As I mentioned before, guys like LeBron James and Steph Curry and James Harden and and and, and some of the stars that define the NBA for this past generation, they're getting old or they're getting much older. They're much closer to retirement than um, we really think. When you're speaking about guys who have been in the league 12, 15, if you're speaking about LeBron, what, 18, 19, 20 years, guys in their late or mid to late 30s. So which one of these guys is going to be the next standard bearer? Is going to be the guy that's going to be moving forward in terms of being the torchbearer, in terms of being the face of the uh, sport, and especially when you speak about the dominance in terms of the best players in the NBA, when you're speaking about the last five MVPs with Jokic and Giannis and Joel Embiid, foreign-born players, being NBA MVPs, when you speak about guys like Luka, who should be ready to take over the league in terms of it, in terms of him being the best player in the league and being the next um, being the next uh, player to take that torch from MJ and LeBron and Kobe and be that guy. I think Luka is that magical and he's that great. He's been having a fantastic tournament over um, in the Philippines uh, for FIBA for his uh, for his country. But you take a look at Victor Wimbanyana, a guy who's supposed to be coming in and changing the way the game is going to be looked at and played when you're speaking about a guy at 7 feet 3 or 7 feet 4 who left the perimeter skills of someone like a Kevin Durant in which I, in which I say slow down on that but many people saying that uh, this guy is going to be the next LeBron this guy is going to be the next Kareem this guy is going to be the next Wilt this guy is going to be the next Jokic this guy is going to be the next Jordan this guy is going to be the next LeBron and those types so he, he's from Paris he's from France France so I'm, I'm interested watching this tournament to see which uh, player from this country it's going to be the guy that when, you know, the next generation starts rolling, when LeBron and Steph and those guys finally bow out and the league is being run or the league is being ruled or the league is going to be dominated by the dominance and the greatness of a Jokic and a Luka and a Shea Gildress Alexander and a Joel Embiid and a Victor Wimbanyana, all of these guys who are coming from other countries. Which NBA player... Uh, American-born NBA player is going to be right there with them um, to be, you know, at the top of of the heap, shall we say, uh, along with the Giannis and such. And uh, so far, Anthony Edwards had a much much more aggressive game, had a much better game against Jordan than he did uh, the first two games. Um, Austin Reeves has been a 
has been a surprise, has been a very pleasant surprise. Laker fans, you must be dancing in the street like Martha and the Vandellas and dancing on the ceiling like Lionel Richie in terms of what he's been able to do, being one of the better players uh, for this uh, for this team so far in this tournament. He has been absolutely fantastic. He's been a crowd favorite. Uh, but him and Tyrese Halliburton, those for me have been the two guys that uh, have been superseding expectations in terms of what they're going, what they were uh, supposed to do. Now, I mentioned before, I'm interested to see what Tyrese Halliburton can do in terms of using this tournament to as a platform for him to bring back to Indiana, Indianapolis and with the Pacers to uh, go ahead and play and do some things. But, uh, yeah, so far, Austin Reeves has been fantastic. Uh, Ty- Tyrese Halliburton has been great. The, the, those two seem to be having some real chemistry with each other. I mean, in terms of getting to know each other, right? Just, I just notice, you know, like in the warm-ups or when they're hanging out and when they're laughing and smiling and joking and such, it seems like uh, Austin Reeves and Tyrese Halliburton has uh, developed some type of uh, friendship, some type of brotherhood, which is awesome, which is fantastic, which is great. Brandon Ingram so far has been a disappointment. Change of um, expectations in terms of how he normally plays. But this is a situation where I think that change is going to be good for him when he gets back to uh, New Orleans and start, uh, starts playing. I see Paulo Bancaro, man, I see Paulo Bancaro as being a better Aaron Gordon type of player. A guy who probably, I think, is going to be better at the power forward position. I know that in the NBA now with really limitless positions, and, you know, we're looking at bigger, taller, is better when you're speaking about, you know, your traditional sizes for point guards and shooting guards and small forwards and power forwards and such. So at 6'10", normally in my generation, that would mean power forward, but now in the newer generation, 6'10", would mean a small forward. I think that Paulo is a guy who can be a stretch four or a guy who can be a point forward. I don't think I, I think he has those type of skills. He's been fantastic um, playing for uh, Team USA also. So those are just some things. Jalen Brunson, the leader of the team, has been solid and such. But uh, you know, moving forward, we'll see which uh, which which players elevate their game even more. They're going to have to as as uh, we get closer to the uh, gold medal game, the gold in the medal rounds, so I will be interested, I'll be interested in taking a look at that. One of the teams, one of the teams that is not going to be meddling, that everybody thought would get a medal, and people thought would be one of the favorites to win a gold medal and beat Team USA if that was possible, was France. France, who are now no longer in the tournament after getting beat by Latvia 88-86. Yes, a team in France that had Nicolas Batum and Rudy Gobert and and uh, Milikina, Frank Milikina didn't play. He was injured. Victor Wimbignana didn't play for them. He is going to be concentrating on, on getting ready for the NBA. But, you know, you had Evan Fournier playing for that team also. They lost. So they're out of it. And this was a team that also lost to Canada 95-65, to which was their, uh, loss, their, their worst loss and the most lopsided loss um, according to FIBA since 1987. So I, I don't know exactly what happened to um, France, but man, surprise, surprise. They said that, you know, basically the point guard position was um, null and void, but still losing by 30 to Canada, losing to Latvia without um, without Christophe Porzingis, who's uh, dealing, with, uh, dealing with an injury, and Rudy Gobert only getting two shots for the entire game. 
Man, what is up with that? What is going on with that? So, hey, you know, Nicholas Batum was sitting there talking about, yeah, I'm, I'm afraid to go home. I'm afraid to go home. This is going to be so bad. You know, a bunch of Jack Custodians out there and playing like that. And uh, not good. Not good at all. But luckily, France is going to uh, be in the Olympics because the games are going to be held in Paris or going to be held in France, the Summer Olympics. So they've already qualified. But uh, it doesn't look good. And look at Canada with Jamal Murray, Shea Gildress, Alexander and them. Look at those guys. I mean, I've always wondered why they weren't more of a threat. And Canada is is a sneaky, underrated uh, basketball country. When you take a look at Steve Nash, and you take a look at um, Andrew Wiggins, and you take a look at all these other guys that are coming uh, out of that country and playing ball, especially if you're taking a look out of the uh, Toronto area, Brighton, uh, Ontario, and such. Yeah, they've got some players. They've got some. They, they've got some real good players. Um, Aaron. Um, Dylan Brooks is playing for that team. So, yeah, it'll be interesting moving forward. They have been quite impressive um, in the first round of the uh, FIBA basketball games. One thing that I want to end with is this. Um, Did you hear the Angola coach? I know you didn't. Angola coach Pep Carlos, Claros, whatever, uh, he was speaking about uh, naturalization. Some of these guys who are playing for these countries, like something's fishies here. Something's not right now. Angola lost to the Dominican Republic 75-67 on Tuesday, which basically eliminated them from the uh, tournament. So what he said after the loss was, he said, quote, we can sign an import like most of the national teams, and maybe we are going to sign, uh, going, and maybe we're going to score more threes, but I don't believe this is correct, and I really think that FIBA must stop this as soon as possible. Otherwise, in some years, there will be no local product. Each country needs to develop their own players. This is what I think. There are players that don't even speak the language of the country that they represent. There are countries that have seven, eight players that we that were born outside of that country. Now, FIBA allows one naturalized player per country, and since citizenship laws vary, it is easier for some countries to naturalize as many players as they want but only one is allowed to play per FIBA competition. Now, players do not have to be born in the country. They represent to play as a local, provided that they can provide their lineage. Provide their lineage. lineage. Players must have received their passport before turning 16. Man, I can see where this guy is coming from. Because you take a look at some of these players who are playing for these countries. Look, I mean... Carl Anthony Towns, he's playing for the Dominican Republic. Kyle Anderson, representing China. Rondé Hollis Jefferson for Jordan. Jordan Clarkson for the Philippines. Thomas Wilcup for Greece. Mike Toby of Slovenia. Kendrick Perry of Montenegro. I mean, come on, man. I mean, a Slovenia. Which player, what, what guy of Slovenian descent is going to be named Mike Toby, right? Kyle Anderson, China? Name me a guy in China. Name me somebody else in China named Kyle. Name me someone who's Chinese who, who who's Chinese that's named Kyle, right? Hey, I want you to meet my friend Kyle Kyle Anderson. He's Chinese, huh? What? Huh? What? Doesn't make any sense, right? I mean, that's like saying you know that, that that's like saying uh, who? That's like saying uh, you know. Demetrius Jackson is from, uh, you know, it's from uh, Croatia, right? I mean, how many folks in Croatia or Slovenia or Italy are naming their daughters, um, you know, Shawnisa or Jakita or or something like that, right? 
Tabitha or whatever. I don't know. But it's just like, come on, man. So I, I kind of get their point. I kind of understand where they're coming from. Basically, what's going to be happening if this if this continues? Basically, Saudi Arabia is just going to be buying the best players. Once Saudi Arabia starts becoming really um, serious about basketball, then they'll just go ahead and they'll just change their natural naturalization laws to where you know they can go ahead and get a really good basketball player. Like, yeah, you know what? We'll pay you two hundred million dollars a year to uh, play in our in our league and represent us and um, say that you're uh, a citizen. You know, so some, one of these Saudi countries is going to be able to do that, and they're going to have a they're going to have a team that's probably going to be able to play in the NBA. Of course, their 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 payroll will be close to a billion dollars. But if you're the Saudis and you're from that part of the the, the world and you have that type of money, and that, that that's no that's no problem. I mean, hell, how much did they try to play pay uh, Kylian Mbappe to go over there and play? How much did they try to get Lionel Messi? How much did they try to pay him to go over there and play and become a, a citizen and represent their country? How much did they pay uh, Ronaldo to do so or? Try- or try to get him to do so. Now, yes, I know that uh, football or soccer is a lot different than basketball. But, I mean, basically, it's just a situation to say, hey, man, we just can't have the Saudis all of a sudden find a loophole to where they're just going to try to start dominating everything. Because I tell you one thing. If I'm one of these NBA basketball players and I'm supposed to be representing this country in the Olympics, and I'm one of the best basketball players in the league. Let's just say, for instance, I'm Anthony Edwards. And Anthony Edwards continues to have a strong tournament for FIBA. And he plays in the Olympics in Paris, and he's one of the top players, and he's going to be the guy that is going to be, he, he's next in line, right, in terms of international basketball to be that superstar for that country. He's going to be the next Carmelo Anthony. He's going to be the next Jason Kidd. He's going to be the next Kevin Durant, right? He's going to be that guy who's going to be the monster of international basketball as well as being the best player in the NBA, right? If I'm one of the Saudis, right, what's, what's going to stop me from saying, hey, um, Anthony, guess what? For the 2028 Olympics, we'll pay you $300 million to represent our country. We'll find somehow some way to uh, make you a citizen and you can go ahead and you can represent us to try to compete for the Olympics. And like I said, we'll pay you $300 million to do so. Arbitrary number, right? Are you going to turn that down? Hell, I'm a black man in this country. What allegiance do I have to this country the way that my people have been treated for the last 400 years plus? The way this country's going and who's the, who's the presumptive um, favorite for the Republican um, uh, Republican presidential guy? The way that uh, our, what we're being treated in um, Florida? What, what's stopping me from saying, you're going to pay me $300 million? Hell, to leave this country and represent Saudi Arabia or whatever? You can pay me 150 I'll go for $150 million tax-free to go over there and do my thing. Shoot, pay me $100 million. It can't get any worse, right? So that's what I think one of the reasons why it's like, hey, man, we need to go ahead and we need to change some things so uh, we can kind of get this more under control. So for the Angola coach, I agree with them wholeheartedly. All right, I'm out of here. Good to go. I've bagged on this country long enough. I'd like to thank everybody for listening, uh, rightfully so. I'd like to thank everybody for listening to uh, this podcast. Hey, uh, before I leave, uh, for those out there, I just need to, to uh, throw this out there. Um, there's some stuff going on right now in terms of this country where we're trying to say that slavery, but some people are trying to say that slavery was a good thing, that black people were being enslaved, that somehow, some way, there were some good things that came out of that. Um, I just want you to know 
If you really believe in that in any way, shape, or form, you are one of the stupidest motherfuckers walking this planet, then you need to look at yourself in the mirror and you need to learn some things. You need to educate yourselves because in no way, shape, or form was slavery in any way, shape, or form beneficial to black folks, okay? Now, I know in Florida and I know in Arkansas and I know in Georgia and I know in some other places that they're trying to whitewash history and trying to erase some of the atrocities that were put upon my people and my ancestors, but I'm just here to tell you that's all bullshit. And if you believe in that nonsense or if you don't think that's a big deal, then you need to look at yourself in the mirror and realize that you are part of the problem and not the solution for us to come together in love peace and harmony and see what we can do to make the changes that are needed to turn this country around and have it uh, live up to uh, the moniker and have it live up to uh, the uh, what, what, what allegedly stands for. So there you go. I'd like to thank everybody for listening to the program, Wendell's World and Sports. Get me out of here with some music. <laughs>